0: Well, good morning, Mercy Church. My name is Joey Schwartz. I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning. I know for some of you, we've been doing this online thing for a while now. And for some of you, you're just totally set up. You've got the set up, two recliners, you've got your coffee to the left, breakfast plate to the right, and you are set. This morning is just kind of a morning of comfort and peace, and we're just bringing God's word to you. You don't even have to move. But for others of you, you've had this experience of toddlers running around the room for the last month, and somehow, someway, they have not figured out how to sit crisscross applesauce, just staring at the screen, taking in God's word and saying amen alongside you. They're just screaming around. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, whether you are kind of relaxed or whether you're stressed out, to lean in. Because in both situations, I believe we can kind of just get in a routine where church is confined to a screen to just take in. And I really believe, not because of some great things I have to say this morning, but because of what the Lord has to say to you. I believe the Lord has a strong word of encouragement for you. So I want you, whether you're in a recliner or you are around some screaming babies, lean in and hear what the Lord has to say to you this morning. Can I start us this morning with some prayer? Father, we love you and expect much of you. We can't do anything else as we go to the word of the living God. It is living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing the soul. And it's hard to be pierced sometimes. But we believe in the goodness of the surgeon We believe in the goodness of God. And so we ask, God, whether it is conviction, encouragement, rebuke. God, we ask that you would have your way with us this morning. You would speak according to your good pleasure. We love you. We believe in you. We trust you for this next 30 minutes. God, in everything that's out of our control, we put it in your hands and trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Little books like this have transformed me. God has used just some words from a person typed onto a page to move me and transform me. I wasn't much of a reader before Christ saved me. And then when he saved me, started reading the Bible and then started reading about people writing about the Bible and I just couldn't get enough. And over the last nine years, the Lord has just used little books like this to change me. And it makes sense because words have power. This is how God created the world as he spoke creation into existence. Words have power. So it makes sense that when God's image bearers sit down, I just imagine all authors like retreating to a winter cabin to like ride away. I don't know if that's just like a writer fantasy of mine, but I just imagine them pouring out their heart onto the page. And then I, on my couch, get to read it. And it makes sense that it moves me. Words have power. See, uh, most estimates, it's kind of hard to get an exact figure, but most estimates say that in any given day, we speak about 20,000 words, about 20,000 words. And that's just about as many words are in this book. So you can think about it this way. Every single day, we're writing a book with our words to the world. We're writing a book with our, world, with our words to the world What I want to ask you is, what kind of book are you writing? Because whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, your words are doing something. Your words have power. I even look back on my own life, and my most distinct memories from when I was a child and when I was a teenager is when someone noticed something and said something to me that I didn't see in myself, and they called me higher, but you want to know what's even more distinct in my memory is the words that hurt, the words that stung. When I'm at my lowest moment, it's like there's just a movie replay of all the hurtful words that were said to me from between five and now. Words just hurt. You know, they, they used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I can guarantee that you don't remember that boo-boo from the stone when you were eight years old. You do remember the first time someone called you a name and it hurt. So that's just a lie. Words have power. But from the time I was a a child and a teenager, you know, we have more hurtful words than ever. In the day of digital communication, we have to add to this little books, not just the words that we say, but the text messages that we just pump out. We have to ask, we have to add Facebook rants and emails that we send out without thought. See, the quantity of our communication is more than ever, but the quality, not so much. Uh, Sherry Turkle, she's a MIT professor of sociology. She she says that over the last 20 years, we've seen a 40% decline in markers of empathy among college students. So just in 20 years, 40% decline among empathy in college students. And they say sociologists attribute this directly to digital communication. Now, at least in my opinion, I think they're just studying the college students This digital communication is affecting us all. It's affecting us all because we are writing words on our phone, on the computer, sending them out, and we don't see people, and there's a disconnect, and we're sending out words, and so much of our book is hurtful. It's hurtful. We are not bringing empathy. We're not believing that our words not only can rebuke, but also can give grace. So I want to ask you What are your words doing? You know, I I feel like in this culture, we're so rushed that a lot of times we're not even thinking about what our words are doing. We're like a, a college student who just has to crank out an essay the night before it's due and he just cranks out words. We're so rushed in our busy schedule that we just have quick conversations, send quick messages, and we're not thinking about it. So I want you to think about it. If your book was read aloud, how would you feel about that? See, there's a kind of frightening verse that comes out of Matthew 14, verses 34 through 36. Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And he says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, every single person will give account for every careless word that they spoke. So if you're a little bit discouraged to start out this sermon, I want to encourage you, okay? Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So maybe you've been feeling even in this introduction, man, I've given a lot of death Through my words. But what we're gonna see in Colossians 4 this morning is that you have the opportunity, if you have the Spirit of God, that you can bring life to people, more life than you could ever imagine, to your family, to your church, to your life. Your life can change if you grasp the power of your words. But before we get there, before you can speak grace to people, you have to savor grace from God. You have to experience the grace that comes from God. And that's our main point today. I'm going to give it right to you. It's really simple. God moves when you savor grace in prayer and speak grace to people. God moves when you savor grace in prayer and speak grace to people. So I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue Steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Real quick, a little bit of context. So in Colossians 1, Paul is speaking to the Colossians and he tells them that the gospel has gone all over the ancient world. It met them with power, but it also moved to all the surrounding regions. But in Colossians 2, starting there, and in Colossians 3, he starts to correct them about a heresy that was spreading in the church. Some false teachers were promoting a kind of religion that used bodily asceticism and strict religious ritual to rise up to Christ. And Paul was saying, no, 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 you've been raised with Christ through his resurrection by his grace. Don't pay attention to the false teachers. But before Paul closes his letter, he wants to make sure that they're not going to, out of a fear for false doctrine, hide in a bubble. He says, no, 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 no. the word has to keep going. The gospel has to keep traveling. So right here, he's starting to talk to them about how to keep moving things along. And what he says is continue steadfastly in prayer. Be steadfast in prayer. This is the same word that's used in Acts 2 when it says that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. This means it wasn't just something they did before bedtime, before meals. No, it was a noticeable part of their life. If you were to follow them throughout their day, you would say, That person is a person of prayer. Honestly, if you're reading this, we're going to get here to kind of give us some steps on prayer, but some of you may be reading this and you're like, I don't even know how to continue steadfastly in prayer because I haven't even started praying. We're going to get there in a little bit. I want to give you some steps to start praying. But here he's saying, keep going, make prayer a regular discipline in your life. But notice what he says about how we ought to pray. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. He's saying, as you're praying, if you're going to pray to the living God, you better believe that he's going to move. You better be on the lookout. If you're calling out to the God who can do all things, be on the lookout for the ways he's actually going to answer. So many of us pray so vaguely, we don't even give God the chance to answer our prayer. If we're just asking God, be with us, go with us. How do we know if the living God moves? But if we actually bank something on God's power to move, then we can look out and see, yes, he did it, and I'm going to give him praise for it. See, in Luke 17, it's a story of Jesus with the 10 lepers. So, 10 lepers come to Jesus, and they all ask him for healing. They all are desperate for healing. And Jesus says, Go to the priest and uh, follow his instructions, and you'll be healed. And on the way, all 10 lepers are healed. But here's what happens. Only one returns to Jesus to give him thanks. The other just just went on. You see, in that moment, all of the ten lepers, they wanted Jesus' power. But only one wanted Jesus' presence. See, all of them wanted Jesus' relief, but only one wanted relationship. All of them had an urgent request, but only one had urgent thanksgiving. See, if you pray to Jesus only to get something from him, you're going to be frustrated when he doesn't give it to you. And when he does, you're going to be forgetful. Because what you wanted was not to go back to Jesus to enjoy a relationship with him. You just wanted him to hand something down. And maybe this is for some of you, this is the reason why you're not steadfast in prayer, is because you tried praying, but you were praying really to God as a genie. And once you realize that your wish was not his demand, you moved on concluding that prayer doesn't work. But if you seek God for God, if you seek his presence, his goodness, if you believe that he's the greatest gift, then even when you can't savor the grace of answered prayer, you can savor the grace of his presence. You can go to him and enjoy him in prayer. That is, that's what I'm talking about first when I talk about savoring grace in prayer is you want God in prayer. And guess what? You may not see answered prayer, but Jesus and his presence is always available for you. If Jesus is your goal in prayer, you will always have a reason to pray because there's always, always more of his presence to savor. You will never get to the end of the knowledge of him, which means you got to pray always. If Jesus is your pursuit in prayer. So go after him, be steadfast and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. But notice, he's saying be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul does not believe, let's not get this wrong. Paul does not believe that prayer is like a faint wish. Kind of like almost our cultural idea of sending thoughts. Really what you're saying there is, I just wanna let you know that I care about your situation, but honestly, the universe is just gonna do what it does. I just want you to know in that, that I care. And honestly, that's a lot of how we pray sometimes when we tell people we're praying for you. I just want to tell you that I care, but I'm not really going to God on behalf of your situation and believing that he can move. That's not Paul's belief. He believes that God can move through prayer. Look at verse three. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I mean, a few things to notice, real quick, about this passage is that Paul is writing from prison. We see this at the end of Colossians. And notice that his prayer request is not an open door from prison, his prayer request is an open door for the gospel in prison. Even more than he wants his own safety and well being, he wants Christ to go forth. He's saying, My life isn't really that important insofar as my life is used to bring forth the gospel. That's what he says in Acts 20, 24, I do not count my life as of any value or, of, or as precious to myself if only I may continue to spread the gospel, to steward this ministry that God's given me in the gospel. See, Paul is prioritizing the gospel, but see here also, here's what I want you to notice right here. He's asking the Colossians to pray for an open door for the gospel. He believes that the Colossians' prayer can actually bring an open door for the gospel. He's not just giving them an example. He's saying, I really want you to pray because I think that you calling out to God by faith can actually open up a door for the gospel that's not here now. He believed that God moves when you savor his grace and prayer. And if you don't see there, look at verse 13, uh, verse 12, Colossians 4, verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. So this is a minister from Colossae that has been with Paul. He's been away from Colossae and he says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's saying, Epaphras is struggling How? Not to get back to the Colossians. He's away from the Colossians saying, I'm struggling so that they may be sanctified, that they can grow in Christ. And Paul even says, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. How has Epaphras worked hard for the Colossians when he hasn't been around them? He's been working hard through prayer. Paul sees prayer as a work. Epaphras is laboring, agonizing, so that the Colossians can be built up in Christ. So Paul believes that when we savor God's grace and prayer, when we come to him for him, yes, but also believing that he can move, God really does move. So here's what I want to ask you. Have you just been urgent with your requests, or have you been urgent with thanksgiving? Have you just been seeking God for the things he can give you, or have you been seeking God for God? The steadfastness of your prayer, not what you think immediately, the steadfastness of your prayer will give you the answer. Because if you're going after God for God, he's always there for you. And My encouragement is to go after him, savor his grace in prayer, because we're about to get to how do we speak to people. But if you don't get this, you're just gonna think I'm telling you to be nice. You've gotta see that you need, desperately need the grace of God, the experiential grace in prayer to be able to speak grace to people that's where Paul's going in Colossians 4. Let's continue. So we're not, God does not just move when we savor grace and prayer. He moves when we speak grace to people. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So here, he's moving toward how we ought to conduct ourselves in the world, among our neighbors, among our coworkers, among those who don't know Christ. He wants the gospel to keep going forth. And how he does this, is he tells us to walk in wisdom. What does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, in Colossians 1, Paul prays that the Colossians may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So what Paul is getting at here, he's saying wisdom is walking in God's way in the world. Wisdom is walking in God's way in the world. It's knowing when to engage and when to abstain. When to hang out, when to stay at home. When to laugh and be in on the joke, and when to sit out from the joke even when it's awkward when to speak truth, and when to be silent. See, Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't think I've come to bring peace. I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. What what was he talking about there when Jesus said that in Matthew 10? He said, allegiance to me, faithfulness to me, is going to be a dividing line among your relationships in the world. It's going to cut through your allegiance. So that at times, you're going to have uncomfortable division because you can't join the world in everything they're doing. So, what I need to encourage you that with this, brother, sister, this morning. If you are always nodding your head at the world, if you're always clapping your hands, if you're always in on the joke, If you can't be distinguished by walking in God's way in the world, then it's likely you're not walking in wisdom, you're walking in worldliness. And the call to you is not to be condemned this morning. The call is simply to receive the grace of Christ and live in a manner that's fitting to that grace. See, you belong to him. Your body, your tongue, your life, your thoughts are all his. And and it's not... Do this, be wise so that you can be a child. It's you are a child of God, so walk in the wisdom of God. Walk in his grace. That's what wisdom is. Now, if we are wise, then we'll make the best use of the time. What Paul is getting at, we're going to get to this a little bit. He's talking about be wise so that your mind and heart can be attentive of when to speak. And we know this because in verse 6 he says, Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt. Jesus said that the the church was the salt of the earth. Let your speech give off the flavor and the aroma of Christ in a way that makes the world better, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious. You say that always this is exactly what paul says in ephesians 4 he says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up that it may give grace to those who hear he's saying always at all times always when you're w- when you wake up and you're groggy in the kitchen and you're talking to your kids and your spouse always be gracious when you're at work and at the water cooler and just talking among your friends Always be gracious. When you're talking to a customer service agent, always be gracious. When you're talking, even though it's just you, God's there. When you're talking to that car that pulled out in front of you that looked just like uh, an inanimate object, but there's a human being at the wheel, always be gracious. Now we need a definition of grace that enables us to always be gracious because gracious is not nice. There's an aspect of Christian speech where we have to step in and say things that are uncomfortable or hard to say. So gracious speech, gracious speech, gracious speech is pointing out grace in others or pointing to grace in Christ. Pointing out grace in others or pointing to grace in Christ. So whenever you can see grace in your brother or sister or even see aspects of the image of God in outsiders or non-believers, it's pointing it out, saying, I see that in you. I see the grace of God in you. I see you made in the image of God, even if you don't believe in God, I see it. And even when you don't have anything to point out, you point to. If you have to rebuke, if you have to correct, if you have to speak up a hard word, what you're doing is pointing them to the grace of Christ. And I'm not just talking about evangelism, although that is absolutely a precious piece of gracious speech, is giving them the good news of grace. I'm talking about in all your speech, just in the way it comes off, just in its sweetness and humility, you're pointing them to the grace in Christ. That's gracious speech. Now, Paul and Jesus are saying, you always have to do this because, again, remember, this is an indicator of what's in our heart. This is why he says it's so important, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's not telling us to watch your mouth and and try to enforce a legalistic rule from our mouth to our heart. No, he's saying, pay attention to your words, because if your words are steering away from the calling of Christ, it's probable that your heart isn't filled with the grace of Christ. You haven't been savoring if you're not speaking grace, right? Right? But, guys, we have a hard time doing this. We have a really hard time doing this. See, ever since Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve had a feast of things to give thanks for and to see grace in, but pointed out the one thing they could not have or the one thing that was lacking, we have been prone to criticize instead of encourage, to pick Instead of build up. That's the sinful condition. That's the sinful condition is we just see. we have an automatic radar, a filter, an alarm that goes off when we don't get our way or we see something we don't like that just says, "There it is." But the alarm of the grace of God is malfunctioning. It's not there. And what Paul is saying is, move into a place of seeing the grace of God now. He's talking about outsiders here, but he's talking about outsiders because he's already talked to the Colossians about speaking grace within the church. He says in uh, chapter three, verse eight, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. He's already talked about how we speak grace among the church. If we're, if we're wanting to speak grace to outsiders, but we're not speaking grace to the church, we've got a problem. If we've got a dysfunctional home life, but we're painting a good face In the outside, we got to start there. So let's start with what is near and dear. I want to ask you to think about even your home. Think about your home and whether it's your spouse or your roommates. Are you you joining with the accuser to tell them what's wrong, what they're not, and how they're falling short? Or are you joining with the Holy Spirit to show them the glory that is within them and the glory that God's calling them to. Are you partnering up with Satan or are you partnering with the Spirit? God is calling you to be the lead encourager of your spouse, of your roommates, so that you're calling them into the grace that's already theirs in Christ. With your children, Pastor Richard, if you guys have not listened to his encouragement, especially to fathers last week, please Go and listen to that. A powerful word for our fathers in the church. But I want to say to fathers and to mothers, to all parents, are you provoking or are you empowering? Are, if you were to look at a tape record of your last week, would it, would it just go, no, 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 don't do it that way. No, that's not what I want you to do. No, don't talk to your brother like that. Is it no, 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 or is it whoa? I see the grace of God in you. Whoa, that was, a, that was amazing how you walked in humility there. Whoa, I see that gift from the spirit that God's given you, and I believe that he wants to use that for his glory. If you look at the bulk of the speech you're using to your kids, what is it? Now to the church. Think, I want you to think, if you're a mercy family, I want you to think of mercy family. Are you primarily focusing on what's not working? Are you primarily focusing on what's not working? I don't like that about my community group leader and how they're doing that. I don't like this and that and that. Are you looking at what's not or what are, you lo- are you looking at wh- how God is working? Are you looking at what's not working or how God is working? Would the rest of Mercy Church, maybe just think about your community group, would they see you as that person has encouraged me, blessed me with words of life? See, there's another way that I see this work out in the church that is not a way of gracious encouragement, but more of criticism. And I call it the gossip sandwich. I call it the gossip sandwich. So you're hanging out with your friends and Sally's not there with you, with your friends. And you say, Sally is such, you know, she is so hospitable. She just, you know, does her home so well. She's having a little bit of a hard time raising her kids, but but no, she's like really, really great at, uh, at putting together her home. She's great. Or, gosh, Mark, he is so diligent. Like, that guy gets work done. He's got a little bit of a, he does have a little bit of an anger problem. Um, he kind of does, and we got to work on that, but no, 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 like, he is, he's so great. He's awesome. He's such a great worker. We don't feel comfortable with just there being encouragement in the conversation. The discomfort of purely gracious words makes us step in and say, no, 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 there's something wrong with that person. And guys, I got got to tell you, number one, if they're gossiping around you about someone else, they're going to gossip to someone else about you every time. But the second thing is gossip sandwiches, they always taste bitter. You never feel good coming out of that conversation. What if you did this? Next time you hear a gossip sandwich, first of all, I'm giving you a name for it, so just call it out. Just say, hey, gossip sandwich. You know, just call it out. Take out that turkey, throw in more bread on that sandwich. Bro, just throw some more affirmation. And why don't you, instead of, instead of inserting the, the turkey into the gossip sandwich, so to speak, why, why don't you just amplify the encouragement? Say, yes, you're right. She is so hospitable. She is so hospital. Yes, you're right. He is so diligent. And guess what? If you need to talk to Mark about his anger problem, why don't you first pray about that? See if you have any anger in you and you need to remove your plank. And then in humility, go to him and speak a gracious word of correction that comes after you examining yourself and speaking to a brother in love. But if he's not in the room, it's not loving. That's a way that we don't speak words of life and empowerment, but words that crush. But here we have to remember, he's talking about outsiders he's talking about outsiders. He's saying, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Are people asking? Are people asking about the grace that's in you? It might be because you're not showing grace through your speech. See, I think we, we waste the water cooler so often. Those moments in work, those moments with our neighbors when we're just hanging out, and I think, honestly, we've, we feel like there are two modes that we can be in. Either you know, we're just having casual conversation, we're just normal people, or we're in like a Holy Spirit trance, and we have to give them a five-step plan for their salvation. And it's either one or the other, and because that just intense moment of evangelism is so intimidating, we just don't evangelize. But what if evangelism was just the natural overflow of the gracious words that were pouring out of your mouth all the time? What if it wasn't a Holy Spirit trance, but a Holy Spirit life? And you were speaking words that came from him all the time. See, I think really what's hard about sharing the gospel sometimes with our neighbors and with our coworkers and with our family is because we don't live a gracious life and give gracious speech, then sharing the gospel would be like whiplash. Like, where did that come from? But if we are speaking grace all the time, then it's the overflow. You know, you should be speaking grace in such a way that they say, that makes sense. Not, that can't be true. They should say, oh, that, that connects the dots. You have something about you, and I can't even identify it, but this connects the dots. See, what if you, instead of just having casual conversation about the weekend with your neighbors and coworkers, I'm not even telling you to bust in and give them a five-step plan to salvation. Although, if the Lord tells you to do it, do it. But all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, why don't you just ask them about their dreams? Why don't you ask them about their family? Ask them about some of their best experiences, worst experiences. Ask them such questions that show that you have a gracious curiosity about their life. And odds are, they're gonna bring up something that enables you to step in and say, hey, could I actually pray about that? And by then, it won't be whiplash. Say, yeah, that's probably the kind of person who would pray. And they'll welcome you in. See, I know some of you are discouraged among your family, coworkers, neighbors. My challenge to you, maybe make it a seven-day experiment, is just pour out encouragement. Pour out gracious speech. If you can't find in them the grace of Christ, if they're not a believer, just find in them the image of God. Where do they reflect the image of God and how can you tell them about it? Do that for seven days, just pour it out and see their kind of heads turn. What's going on with you, John? What's going on with you, Sally? And then you will know how to answer. You see, they'll start asking and then you'll know how to answer. Savor, savor grace in prayer and speak grace to people. See, if you're in a place this morning where you're saying, honestly, I don't have either of these. I don't really pray and I don't really talk about God. I gotta just encourage you, you know, put it it this way. Imagine that you had a friend who you claimed as a friend, but you never talked to that friend and you never talked about that friend. And if you're having a hard time imagining such a friendship, It's because such friendship does not exist. Friendship requires connection. It requires time. It requires proximity. It requires pouring out your heart. And you're going to talk to that person. You're going to talk about them. So if neither of these things are present in your life, I'm not condemning you. Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn. He came to save. We're already separated from him. What he's inviting you into is hear a word of grace over your life. He looks at you and instead of looking at your sin saying condemned, he went on the cross and bore all of it and said, it is finished. Instead of looking at you and giving you and speaking a sentence of death, he spoke over you. If you'll believe in him, he speaks over you an adoption, son and daughter. He welcomes you in. He has a good word If you'll believe in him and what he's done through his death, covering all of your sin through his resurrection, bringing you from death and a deadly tongue to life and a tongue that gives life to all around you, would you come to Christ and experience the friendship that you can't earn, but you can receive this morning? But for those of you who belong to Christ, I just want to encourage you go back, go back again to this book every morning. Go back to this book. And savor the grace of Christ that's yours. Receive his word that says, see what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And once you receive that word of grace, you'll be able to speak a word into the world that gives life, that gives grace, that makes the kingdom look beautiful, just like the savior who saved you. I want to give you right before we're done here, I want to give you a few ways to close out this morning cuz this is it's so sweet to speak grace that I want to give you some action steps right now. I got three for you, okay? Number 1, take a 7-day fast from criticism in your home. Take a 7-day fast from criticism in your home. Why do I not say, you know, spend 7 days encouraging? Because if you will pull out all the criticism and that impulse to jump to what's wrong about your spouse or wrong about your children. And I know with toddlers, this could get, just really graciously speak them into discipline for just a week, for just a week. I know this could get scary and you can, you can adapt this. This isn't a law. This is just an invitation to try something out. Seven days fast from criticism and see how instead of noticing what's wrong, you'll start noticing what God's doing and wanting to speak it. The second action step is exactly what I challenged you to earlier. I want you to do a seven-day experiment in your work. Even if it's over Zoom, even if it's over Slack or email or text messages, I want you to try pouring out encouragement, noticing grace around you and see what happens. Make it an experiment. If you don't believe me, make it an experiment. Maybe you haven't been winning people over with your excellent work, well, what if you combine excellent work with excellent, gracious speech? That'd win people over. I want you to see how people just kind of turn their heads and say, what's going on? That's the question that they're asking and you know how to answer. And then the third, I actually want you to take action on this right now. So we're about to play music for a couple minutes and I want you to do this right now. Don't say I'm gonna do it later because what's really gonna happen, you're gonna eat a sub and then you're gonna take a nap this afternoon. So just, just do it right now before you forget, all right? I want you, you're not around other people that you can encourage. So I'm going to encourage you right now to take out your phone and I want you to send a text message to two of your friends. If you're in the Mercy family, I want to encourage you to send it to two Mercy family members, okay? And I want you to either point out grace in them or point to the grace in Christ. Send a text. And the reason I want you to do this, I want you to taste how it's sweet, how it's good that as you give grace to others, you'll remember the grace that's yours in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you have been gracious to us. We cannot enter that grace or earn that grace through the words we say. We can't wash our own mouth with soap and clean our heart. We need you to clean us. We need you to fill us. But once you do, Jesus, Whoever believes in you, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We believe that this morning. May Mercy Church overflow with rivers of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.